Looks like we're live. Openly biased judges, bogus legal theories, and deceptful prosecutors. 2024 judicial interference is afoot. This is Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Unless you've been living on another planet or under a rock the past year and a half or so, then you've probably noticed that the justice system, federal and in some state locales, have taken an active role in affecting the 2024 election. And here to talk about it, just how active of a role that they have taken is none other than Voter GA's Garland Favrito, who I'd also like to hear your thoughts eventually on the plea deals that are going on and just everything that's been going on with this kind of wild corrupt use of the justice system that's playing out right in front of us. Garland, you had a press conference yesterday. Lay out for us, just kind of uh, give me an overview of just all of the ways that there is judicial interference going on. Wow. Um, Well, so Brad, um, I guess it starts, there's a lot of cases. Let's take the cases, um, probably multiple different ways, but the first one would be uh, the cases against Donald Trump. And then there's cases against other uh, just individuals to tell you that it's more than just about Donald Trump. But um, we talked about the three cases against D- Donald Trump. One of them is when the Biden says the Biden Department of Justice uh, is indicting him. Uh, and uh, and then we have the That's case- the Jack Smith case, right? Jack Smith. Yeah. Then we have the case of Alan Bragg in New York and as well as another case with Letitia James uh, in New York, the civil fraud trial, which is where they're trying to steal his money, literally. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and all of these have secretly assigned partisan judges to them. So we walked through all of those in, in a significant amount of detail. And that, that's the Donald Trump side of it. But then they're going after these attorneys uh, like John Eastman. I was out there and testified on his behalf for three days in California, they're trying to take his bar license. And then they were going after the other attorneys, uh, any any attorney that worked with Trump at all. You know, Eastman just worked a little briefly with him, uh, very, very briefly. And then, you know, they're going after Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Ken, uh, uh, Kenneth Chesbro, and uh, uh, a variety of other. I think Jeffrey Clark's another one. Uh, so they're going after all these attorneys. And then uh, in Atlanta, of course, with the Fannie Rose indictment, we're going after just other individuals, uh, electors who followed the contingent elector uh, precedents that date back to 1876. And they're trying to criminalize that, trying to. And then most importantly, in the case of the Fannie Wallace uh, indictment, is that she is attempting to criminalize free speech. Uh, which is just uh, really unacceptable. That should that should irritate every American. Uh, She's criminalizing disagreeing with government officials. On top of that, yeah, yeah, you can't you can't listen to outside lawyers, your uh, intel officials, and your official White House ju- or uh, lawyers told you so, so you must believe it to be. Which to me is like everybody should recognize the application of it's a crime to disagree with the government. Yeah, that's pure Marxist philosophy as I see it. 
Uh, and uh, it's really a, a dangerous thing because we are trying to uh, basically defend ourselves against the Marxist takeover of the United States of America. Uh, absolutely. And that's a stripping away of everybody's rights. And that leads to some pretty bad outcomes and being controlled by the worst, most triggered all the time people who are just looking to cancel and looking to weaponize power. Oftentimes people who aren't used to power. So once they get it, they tend to abuse it. Now, a number of things stuck out to me there. The Eastman hearing, you said you testified at that in California. If you could tell us, just remind people who Eastman is again. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience testifying. Yeah. So John Eastman was the uh, he he was an attorney who worked briefly uh, in regards to Trump's uh, election challenge. And he was one of the attorneys that um, basically uh, tried to convince the vice president of the United States to send electors back to the states when there is a disputed election. Uh, so in Georgia, uh, the election was under dispute on January 6th, and uh, John Eastman was one of the attorneys who tried to get uh, Vice President to send it back, said that that was uh, completely uh, acceptable under the United States Constitution. And so Eastman, uh, they, they, they tried to charge him. Uh, they had 11, account, 11 account, accounts against him, 11 counts. Eight of them were evidentiary. Three of them were legal constitutional arguments. And the eight, the eight evidentiary, um, uh, those eight evidentiary counts were all based on the claim that, which was totally hearsay, that there was no fraud, errors, and irregularities in the 2020 election. It's just complete hearsay. And that and yeah. it was eight counts on that one. And then the three counts were the legal arguments. They claimed that he, it was a false theory to tell Pence that he um, could uh, actually uh, send the electors back when there was a dispute uh, that needed to be resolved at state level. Well, that wasn't a false theory because they, uh, Democrats actually came along and changed the Electoral Count Act to uh, prevent that from happening next time. That's yeah. unbelievable, too. I, I think when you really step back and think about that, I think people who just don't like Donald Trump just gloss over that. And they say, oh, oh ceremonial. It's always been ceremonial. He was wrong for trying to use it in a non-ceremonial way. He was using it by the letter of the law. It was so lawful that they had to change the law after the fact and then rope it into a crime based on their changed law, basically. Exactly. That's exactly. They tried to put, uh, make the, the vice president's role a, quote, ceremonial role, unquote. But it wasn't. He presided over the entire electoral process before, and that means he has some authority. Uh, and, uh, that, yeah, that's the irony of the whole thing, Brad. They, they went and tried to... It changed a lot later. I think you summed it up better than I did. It's crazy. And you had said something when we talked, or I think maybe in your presentation, that during the testimony, you felt like they might have been trying to entrap you, get you to say something false, so maybe they could hold you accountable. I don't know what the laws are out there for those well, hearings. 
Well, it, it, the laws in, for the bar hearings in California are more uh, or less restrictive that you can actually legally, uh, according to bar procedures, you can introduce hearsay evidence. And I was uh, um, presented with hearsay evidence from the opposing counsels, and uh, yet uh, the judge did not want me uh, to, uh, or she actually um, rejected government documents presented by the uh, state and didn't allow those in the record, at least while I was there. Uh, so, it, yeah, and it was not necessarily the opposing counsels that were the problem. The judge was the problem. The bias of the judge was just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, anybody, Seems to be a theme. Yeah. Well, her, hers, you know, so a lot of the judges, they try to disguise it and they have a background uh, of bias that's hidden. But this judge just basically laid it right out on the table for her. She wasn't even trying to be, uh, you know, impartial. Uh, it was really uh, almost amazing. Yeah, impartiality of judges and, and the showing their bias, I believe, must be like a 2015 thing or something like that, or maybe 2018, because it's almost like right now they're proud to display their bias while holding the power to take somebody's rights away and really just destroy the justice system overall for the future with the precedents they're setting. Exactly. That's what's going on. So... Did they ask you any tricky questions at all that you were? If you don't remember any, that that's that's good. But they they do a lot. Of, I think it's recognizing that if you're in a situation like that, that they might ask you a tricky question. What, what color was the car that you drove to uh, such and such uh, uh, on this date? Oh, it was red. Wrong. It was maroon. You're going to federal prison for lying to the FBI and stuff like that. It's good to recognize that they're going to have these little tricks in there to try and. Uh, get people who are their political opponents or have inconvenient information? Do you recall any chicanery like that? Well, yeah, one instance uh, rings a bell, and that was the one where I think, you know, I would uh, testify, and I think I would maybe under cross-examination, and uh, they would ask me questions sometimes I wasn't expected. So I think there was one case, and the next day I went to clarify what I had said the day before and, and add to it based on some research I did that evening uh, into our documents that we had produced, you know, because they were asking me all kinds of things without letting me, letting us put the documents in the record. Yeah. So uh, there was one time I clarified the next day. I remember the judge asked me, well, uh, how did you decide to clarify this or what, what, you know, based on what, what the additional issue, how did you make that determination? Now, it wasn't the opposing counsel the that judge. asked that question. It was the judge. Um, but uh, she was constantly doing things like that to try. Uh, almost implying that you were lying before, it sounds like, maybe. Um, yeah, she wouldn't quite go that far, but she was really clever in how she w wanted to um, really trying to entrap me uh, yeah. in, in, in different ways. She had, or or, or in, she would just ask questions that could only benefit the opposition. Yeah, and they're good at that. That's what you learn to do uh, as a lawyer and as a judge. You get exceptionally good at it. And the people you're asking questions to, you have experience uh, with the law, but a lot of people don't. So they can get people by tricking them with the technicalities or the weird wordings of their question, often walking people 
into a trap, but a legal trap because they know how to get around things. And we can't just go and change your law in, in the future and apply it in the past like they do with Trump and, and Pence's ceremonial role. Real quick, let, let's run through these judges again. I know people have heard these, but the way you talked about it in your press conference, it, just hearing all of it real quick, just how biased all the judges are, it just really highlighted to me uh, the abuse of power going on here. The, the New York case... The, the one that's going that I think the one that's going on right now where you showed the video of the guy laughing and mugging for the camera, the judge. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Ingeron, uh, uh, this guy, I mean, you is a incredible liberal judge, you know, de- donated uh, thousands of dollars to Democrats. Um, and uh, so he he's really um, compromised. But in addition not just the judge, his law clerk uh, is apparently girlfriend of Chuck Schumer. Uh, and they, we showed a picture of, of her and with Chuck uh, uh, Schumer. I believe her name is Allison Greenfield. So that story went was everywhere in the news. And they were saying how awful it is for Trump to post this picture around where he met Chuck Schumer and his girlfriend, whether or not it's actually her girlfriend, maybe, I, I don't know, but the, the purpose was to show how corrupt the entire uh, uh, system was there, the judge, the, like, was it the district attorney there that w- ran on, uh, the person who brought the case against him there, the, the woman, I can't remember her name, but she ran on a get Trump uh, to get yeah. her position. Letitia, Letitia, Letitia. Yeah. is the attorney general of New York, I believe. That's right. And then you have the law clerk. It was a demonstration of the corruptness and the media takes it and says Trump is awful and evil for putting pictures of people in their private lives out there. No, you're, they completely and intentionally miss the actual purpose uh, of what's going on and what's being demonstrated there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And didn't the guy brag about or he talked openly about Trump being a bad guy and, and he also takes the power away from juries if he doesn't like or he thinks they're too dumb to come to the right conclusion? Yeah, that was chilling uh, that uh, the judge actually bragged about using that the clause uh, they call um, of um, judgment notwithstanding verdict. Yeah. And he literally bragged. There's a, vi- a video interview you can talk about as he, he talked about how when the jury, sometimes the jury just can't make the right decision. They talk about, oh, they made a decision. There's no way they should have arrived at that conclusion. And yeah. that he, knowing better, will step in and he will use his power to override the jury who didn't know, you know, 13 people that didn't, of their peers that didn't know what they were doing. So. Makes you wonder what he'd do if he were in charge of an election and he didn't think all the people who voted knew what they were doing, if he could intervene somehow. I wonder if he would, just speculating on that point there. Not implying anything, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, that guy, uh, well, yeah, Fonnie Willis, obviously, she has a, a, a background. I don't know if she ran on a get Trump thing, but I think it's pretty apparent that if she doesn't get Trump, then she probably wouldn't be in her, her position much longer. Just as the uh, Judge McAfee uh, in Georgia, which we, I think we've talked a little bit about him before, but he's a first time judge. And this is the person overseeing the conspiracy case down here in Georgia, the racketeering one, the one that we see in the news the most right now, where Sidney Powell and a few others, Cheeseboro, uh, if I, I don't know if I said his name right, but all, all those guys have gotten the plea deals that they've taken and the media is acting like everybody's turning uh, on Trump. But the judge in that case, he was appointed to his position. He wasn't elected to his position. And he's going to have to win 
office again in Fulton County uh, in 2024 next year. And he is a, uh, a Republican appointed by Kemp and he's going to be running in uh, a get Trump Fulton County area and will have no chance of actually winning that seat, in my opinion, if he does not get Trump. I mean, can you imagine if he actually treated this thing fairly and the case just gets thrown out basically pretty quickly, he would never win that seat again. So he is in a position to be incentivized to be completely biased against Trump, in my opinion. But you had some new information. Or you guys, well, I know you might be able to talk about all of it because you might have to uh, be a witness or something. Or I, I don't know. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But what can you tell me uh, about him that we don't know yet? Well, we released some information um, yesterday. And that was the fact that Bob uh, Coover, who is one of our members who is also uh, um, involved in the Mountain Patriots, I think he's an officer in what we call the Mountain Patriots up in Northwest Georgia. Um, he had been had filed a complaint uh, with the uh, Governor Kemp on Brad Ravensburg. It was a 27-point complaint, and he uh, had... Uh, uh, Governor Kemp had turned that over to Inspector General, and the Inspector General uh, at that time was Scott McAfee, and McAfee refused to investigate 26 of the 27 points. He chose to investigate one point, and that was the uh, allegation that Bob Coover made that Brad Ravensburger lied about a pro v and audit. Um, which really wasn't an audit, it was just a health check of the machines. And uh, Ravensburger talked about the, the audit being conducted, and it was not conducted. And uh, uh, Judge McAfee, who at that time was Inspector General, looked into that. Uh, I guess that's actually McAfee. But uh, he looked into You might into, be right. I might have said it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he looked into that, um, and he found that there was no uh, – no, um, problem. The audit was, in fact, conducted. And Bob said, well, how did you find that out? He said, well, I asked I asked Brad Ravensberger, and I asked uh, Pro-V&V's Jack Cobb, the head of Pro-V&V, and they said it was conducted. Well, and therefore it was conducted. Well, Bob went out and got the open records request from each of the six counties who allegedly uh, were, were uh, had the audit conducted, and uh, virtually uh, all of them, uh, not one of them actually had uh, the audit uh, conducted. And in fact, only one of them was even contacted about the audit. So it never occurred, it never happened, and yet Judge uh, McAfee said, or at that time, Inspector General McAfee said that it did. So and he was running interference, it sounds like, and it, these audits are part of the argument that Everything in Georgia was looked at. There was no problems whatsoever. They did all of the audits, and yet it would seem as though they might not have done all of the audits. And when this question was brought to that inspector general, who is now the judge overseeing the Trump case and a Republican judge, that's how they spin it in the news, as though he's going to give Trump any favors, he actually said that they happened when others are disputing that they had happened in those counties. And before he was in that position where he ran interference on those audits, he was, he worked in the same district attorney office under, he was, he worked for Fannie Willis. She, wow. she was his, uh, she oversaw the department that he was in. And this is your person who Fannie Willis is now trying to prosecute, tries to judge on the case. It's unbelievable. 
Yeah, it just it shows uh, an incredible um, uh, collusion. Uh, you know, so you know, how, and these judges are secretly appointed, secretly assigned to these cases, uh, which is another issue. Um, what do you mean secretly assigned? Well, how did Judge McAfee get these cases? That's a good point. It could have gone to any of the other judges in federal county, right? That's, yes, they could. So he ends up with it. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, knowingly, I, really, I think he's compromised because of this, what we found out, which I was not even aware of until, um, I don't know, a month or two ago when uh, Bob had mentioned it to me and he talked, he talked about this whole uh, ordeal that he had with him uh, over trying to get the inspector general's office to uh, prosecute um, uh, Brad Ravensburg. Talk about racketeering in a criminal organization. I think they're looking in the wrong place to find that, if you ask my opinion. I think they could look inward and maybe upward at the federal government with Joe Biden's little operation. Just just alleging, just alleging. I would never I would never insinuate that uh, uh, for certain. What, what are the other two judges? I think we've covered two of them. What are the other two and their bias? It's uh, either yeah. express or inherent. Yeah, well, we were talking about uh, going back to Judge Ingram for a minute. Uh, and, you know, uh, he imposed this gag order on Trump. Uh, and uh, after Trump uh, posted that picture, well, yeah, right. the picture, the picture, uh, Chuck Schumer never denied that Allison Greenfield was his girlfriend. Yeah. So, uh, and whether or not, he, she was or not, she was still pounding around with Chuck Schumer. Uh, obvious conflict of interest uh, since yeah. he was an opposing uh, party. So that was one case. And, you know, before we go to the other two judges, the other thing was really bad about that. That's the civil fraud case. And the other cases, they're yeah. trying to create crimes that didn't exist. Right. In this case, they're literally trying to steal Donald Trump's money to prevent him from running for president uh, in in 2024. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievable uh, what is going on. It's just uh, as someone said on on social media, it's a third world Marxist hellhole. It's show trials. It's just it's corruptness that half the country. You think when you hear about this stuff going on in history, like Lenin and uh, back in. You know, the the, er, the earliest 1920s, 19 to the 1940s and all that. You just like it's so easy to see. Everybody would see it. You know, that's the, the way you read history. But when half the country loves that it's going on and the emotional propaganda appeals are so satisfying to them, it blinds them to the fact that the things they've read about in history are actually going on right now and could be applied to them in the future. And what he was doing, that judge there with that gag order, it was not trying to protect the people in his office. He was trying to protect the evidence of corruption and bias that existed in his office. And along with taking Trump's money and trying to tie him up in court, Trump started, I knew he would do this. If he's going to be in court during the 2024 election cycle, if he's going to have to be dragged in and out of court, and I think this was an experimentation with this one, he is going to make the campaign court. 
And that's why he, I think, would want the cameras in the courtroom. And then the last minute, they decided not to put the cameras in the courtroom on the first time he showed up here. And so he did what you would expect him to do. He did a little PR stunt and stood outside and he made an announcement out there. And then the judge says, well, we're not going to let you hear the public hear what you say in court. And we're also not going to let them hear what you say outside of court with the gag order, at least uh, the threat of it anyway, of, of the consequences. So taking away the First Amendment right really to defend himself. Well, right. And that interferes with the 2024 election. Yep. All of this judicial corruption is interfering with the election. Uh, biased judges, uh, uh, these cases with no crimes, uh, trying to charge uh Trump with a crime that he didn't, you know, it wasn't even a crime in, in the indictments. Um, and then uh, this is, and then you've got the case where they're trying to steal his money now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. These, these are a bunch of, of Marxist thieves and we, we've just completely so far gone away from what America uh, is and has always been. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Absolutely. It's not the justice system anymore. It's a, uh, it's a system of injustice. I think it would be really funny. I know he won't do it, but I think it would be really funny if Trump turned around like and this week sold Mar-a-Lago to somebody for like $1.5 billion, just undercutting that entire case. It tries uh, to claim that it's not, it's only worth $18 million in his financial records, which is a crazy number. If that judge could buy Mar-a-Lago for that amount of money or anybody in the nation for $18 million, they would in a second. They'd flip it and they'd make a fortune. <laughs> it's insane. So, well, well, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, uh, you know, since you mentioned it, valuing your assets, there's no, there's no victim in there. I mean, he got loans. He repaid the loans. The banks are happy. They are the only ones involved in the transaction. And it's none of Letitia James' business. Right, right. That's, that's the bottom line. There's no victim and there's no crime. And Letitia James is corrupt. That's the, Absolutely. Only, way, that's the only way to look at it. And people hear that and, and they kind of brush it off because they're so satisfied about it. But I, I, do you think he's going to be convicted in any of these? I know they could be appealed if they do, but do you think any of these four cases right now are, will end up with a, a conviction? Uh, it, it's just too hard for me to speculate. Um, I mean, they're certainly set up to do that because they have a corrupt prosecutor and an incredibly biased judge uh, who should not be on the case. Uh, so, so any of these could, uh, uh, I mean, th as you said, they're just show trials. These are kangaroo courts. They're not legitimate uh, judicial proceedings. And the way that they're pressuring, I'm sure, these co-defendants in the Georgia case, it, it I, I watched the woman yesterday. Ellis, is that her name? The one who yeah. took a plea deal? Crying, giving the statement to the court. And they were reading off what, so you agree that you made the false statements and she's like, yes. And at one point they said, you agree that there was no fraud. And this isn't the exact wording, but it was something like this. And she was like, yes. And uh, that you affirmatively agree 
that there was no fraud. The election was like wonderful, kind of like the statement by the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, the, an, an intel agency in the Department of Defense, when they officially said a lot of people don't realize that this was an official intel statement, that the 2020 election was the most secure in American history, which is a completely ridiculous, unprovable statement taken hyperbole and turning it into factual evidence that comes from the intel community that they can then use in a case and say, well, this intel agency within the DOD told you this ridiculous statement. Therefore, anybody that you believe otherwise make you're guilty of a crime, even though we know they all lie. But but seeing them bully these people into taking these deals and the media yeah. gets really excited about them. But I, I don't think that there's I don't think that it's any of it's going to be damning to Trump in this case in particular. Do you? Well, uh no, I mean because his ratings keep going up, you know. Uh, yeah. The, the more they, the more they try to do to him, the more popular he seems to become. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, that whole thing appeared to me to be staged uh, yesterday. Yep. It didn't appear to me to be legitimate. I didn't. Th- I don't even think she was sincere. But uh, you know, Jenna Ellis was not on the Trump train before she got on the Trump train. She was a never Trumper before very critical of Trump, suddenly end up uh, with a, a position uh, in the Trump administration and was good for a while. But then uh, I, there's no reason that she needed to make that statement. So uh, other than she apparently cut some deal for making it. Yeah, you made a good point earlier uh, before when we were talking before the show. She had submitted that statement to the court, and in the video, you can even see the judge say that he has it there, and, and she gets up and she tearfully reads it, and she kind of did her hair up, and you know, I, I think she's about the same age as the judge there, maybe trying to win some points there, but giving them and the media some a fuel with some talking points that they can pull, because that was what we saw all over the news is her crying, apologizing, saying she would never be Trump's lawyer if she did not listen to other lawyers who told her things that weren't true, throwing Rudy Giuliani under the bus is, is what she was doing there. That's probably part of the deal here. If you throw Rudy Giuliani under the bus and let the media have that clip, then, I don't know, maybe we won't disbar you or something like that. But part of there, it's also a public display of this is what happens when you disagree with the government. But part of their of their plea deal for all the ones who've taken deals, Sidney Powell, Cheeseboro, her, and, and there's one other, the bail bondsman, I think, is, is $5,000 in restitution. So they're, they're robbing them. You have to pay the, the, the corrupt Georgia Secretary of State $5,000. They have all of their, their probation uh, years, like five years, and then some community service. But they all ha- have to also write uh, uh, an apology letter to the state of Georgia. We're, we're getting an apology letter from all of these people, which I think is just— uh, more of a warning sign to the public. But I wonder what form that is going to come because that seems like something the news will love to see. These Maybe they'll enshrine them on the steps of the Georgia Capitol, these apology letters. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, there, obviously that, that's only for media purposes. It's not for uh, any kind of uh, you know, legitimate judicial purpose. So why is the Fannie Willis team trying to get uh, media uh, uh, objectives into the, the these plea bargains? You know that's not yeah uh, the apologies doesn't do the Fannie Willis uh, uh, team any good or anybody else from a judicial 
perspective. So why is it even there? And what I would like to have known if I was the judge up there, I would have liked to have known uh, what was this, the fact that you're making the statement, was this part of your plea agreement? Yeah, that's a good question to ask. Maybe in five or 10 years, we'll find that out. Stella says humiliation ritual. I would agree with that as part of a a deterrent to uh, get other, and also try to get other people to flip on them. There's a lot of people are probably wondering if Rudy Giuliani will, maybe, but, and they say flip on them, but all they've agreed to do is testify truthfully in one of these cases, one of the other cases, if needed, and you'd made the point in your te- in your um, press conference yesterday, and I agree with it, that it, it, they probably will not call them to testify. No, I think it would be very damaging to Fani's case, which is also already in trouble because she's given away these plea deals with, with little misdemeanors and things. Uh, so if she had a real case, you know, she would pursue it yep. in, uh, in a court of law. But she's not. So she's now she's trying to settle all these things to make it look like she was right and that they were guilty. And uh, so that can be hyped up for the media. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they would never I can't imagine them calling Sidney Powell or Kenneth Chesbro or or uh, to the stand. Uh, uh, they, you know, they might. Who knows? They might call Jenna Ellis and she's a dramatic. Uh, but uh, I would yeah, never- she's her acting chops. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I would never see them calling Sidney Powell or uh, Chesbro or, you know, to the stand because they're only going to uh, tell the truth. And that's going to help uh, Trump and everyone else. Tell me about, so this is the one where Judge McAfee, I, I think that's how you said I could be wrong, but the one who worked for Fonnie Wells. Tell me about some of the orders he has sent down so far. You mentioned one interesting yesterday. I, I hadn't thought about this when he did not sever the case from two of the lower defendants. I believe it's Sidney Powell and, and Cheeseboro. Yeah, um, he refused to sever the case. Now you have to think about that for a minute. Uh, you know, some some defendants are tried together if they're involved in the same alleged crime. But in this case, Chesbro and Powell had absolutely nothing to do with one another. And uh, they both deserved a fair and individual trial. So imagine this. So Chesbro is uh, involved in the contingent electors, establishing those uh, while the uh, challenge is in play, the election challenge that Donald Trump has filed. He was involved in that. Um, Sidney Powell was involved in in, uh, helping to get a forensic exam on the Coffee County server after the state of Georgia, in particular Brad Raffensperger, refused to do it when the machines miscounted in Coffee County and failed to produce accurate 2020 election results. So that was Powell's role. Those two things are totally different. So imagine that you're sitting in court and now, and the Fonnie Willis's team has already said that they're going to call 180 witnesses at taxpayers' expense. So that means you're going to have to sit there for weeks listening. If you're Sidney Powell, you're listening to the whole case about the electors with which you had nothing to do with, and you have to hire your attorneys to be there for weeks and end that they wouldn't necessarily have to be there. And then on the other hand, you have the case of 
Chesbro having to listen to all the Coffee County evidence. Uh, and he has nothing to do with that, but he's retaining his attorneys. They have to be there in court, and attorneys charge a lot of money when they're in court, much more than, than when they're working at on the office with briefs and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's bleeding them dry. It's another part of the, the intimidation, the financial warfare, essentially, to, to get them to take a, a plea deal. And the you're talking about the media and doing it for media purposes. And like you said, they would not be doing the war of in the media if they had actual arguments and they would not be pleading everyone down. So, I mean, who's going to be left on the conspiracy charges if everybody's plead down? And, and the one of the charges that Ellis or uh, the charge, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but it was to she said false statements publicly, something like that was what she uh, pled down to. That wasn't even an original charge against her. It was, it was a new charge that she pled to. Yeah. And again, even false statements are protected by the First Amendment of the United yeah, States right. Constitution. Yeah. So if the statement, uh, there is a long set of precedents in which you have to prove that the false statement meets a certain precedent uh, to even to be not protected by the First Amendment. There aren't. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions that the judge uh, uh, listed in one of his uh, uh, responses. But uh, bottom line is, uh, you know, even a false statement uh, is 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 protected free speech. Well, sometimes it's the preferred free speech of uh, the media and uh, the, our politicians right now. In fact, they speak almost exclusively in protected lies. It's just a matter of uh, are, are they are they ones that are, you know, helping the establishment out or working against them? And when they work against it, doesn't matter if it's true or false, then it's going to be called false. And it looks like you'll be criminalized for it. Let me ask you this, and you might not know, have any information about this. We didn't talk about this beforehand. Lynn Wood, how is Lynn Wood not caught up in some of this? He was a big figure at the beginning of all of this back shortly after it all happened. And I think he even might have gotten disbarred at one point, if I remember correctly. Do you know anything about what's going on with him? Well, I think he retired and uh, therefore he was not. Uh, he was not I don't think he had any kind of bar hearing or anything because he would he just flat retired. They were going to go after him, but he retired. So now he's not more politically active. Therefore, yeah. there's no reason for Fannie Willis to go after him. And that's why she didn't, because she only went after active political adversaries, 18 of them. And then one elections director who exposed problems with the voting system failing to produce the correct results in the Coffee County 2020 election. And has that been resolved? No. Right. And in fact, it, and in fact, Coffee County was never investigated. As I mentioned before, um, the uh, Republican electors and some of these, these are the same ones that are being accused by Fannie Willis. Of uh, 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 various nefarious things, which they didn't do, uh, these Republican electors requested uh, a and actually sued for a forensic audit when the uh, election failed so miserably in 2020 here in Georgia. They did not get it, 
Uh, but they went to court uh, to to get an audit, and Ra- Brad Ravensburger refused to do it. See, this to me is when I hear them saying to a defendant, "You agree in the affirmative that there was no election fraud, and, and the statements were false and, and whatnot." Uh, it, there's still issues that have not been resolved. I, I know. I think you have a case open still, if I if I remember correctly. We have five cases open. Five cases open. Uh, and re- involving both the 2020 and the 2022 uh, elections. Okay, so there is no uh, uh, affirmation in that, as like they would like to make people believe. And you said 12 cases of outcome determinative irregularities that you guys have identified. Yeah, I mean, if you followed us over the years, you know uh, all these cases. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have got, we just, finally, I just put them together and I ended up with, I think, 12 or 13, uh, you know, different different incidents that occurred. And that's just in 2020. Yeah. And in, any one of which put more votes in doubt than the margin of victory of 11,779 votes. Uh, Where would you direct people to find out? We've talked about a lot of these on the show before. I guess people can go to your Voter GA YouTube page. I know a lot of the old interviews that we've done, and you've talked about those in a lot of other places. And you guys produce your your work on your website, VoterGA.org. You are putting that information out there, which is – it's brave to do that. Because people who do stuff like this, we see what what happens to them. But to me, it shows just how – good your work is by the fact that all of this is out there at a risk to yourself, but you know that you can back it up with the evidence and the work that you've guys done. Well, yeah, we had a lot of volunteers work on each one of these. Most of them you can find on the VoterGA.org homepage, and you can see uh, um, point after point of how tens of thousands of ballots were in uh, uh, you know, in uh, question, whether it be the original ballot images were destructed or the video surveillance of the drop boxes were destructed or uh, uh, destroyed, excuse me, uh, or the chain of custody forms for you know, hundreds of thousands were missing or inappropriately filled out. And just goes the list goes on and on. It's over a dozen deep, I think. And most of them you can find on the voterj.org. Uh, home page. But, you know, even the Senate race, it's not just about Trump. The U.S. Senate race was de- was decided by, you know, 10 or 20,000 votes. So most of these uh, are put more votes in doubt than the U.S. Senate race as well. Yeah. And I think getting you, you mentioned this yesterday, getting exposure to that, I think is the best way to fight it. The more people know about it, the the more people will begin to question because eventually one of their guys is going to have it stolen from. Like I tell people the first time I met you, you were saying that you believe that John Ossoff had actually won. I think it was in 2017 in a special election. He's a Democrat and that Karen Handel had wrongfully won. And you're not partisan. You're just trying to uh, get election integrity. And I see that you have a, a new shirt. Yeah. Voter GA. Let's tell, tell me about that new shirt. You yeah, got. yeah. We, you know, we had ten times more evidence uh, now than we had with John Ossoff and Karen Handel. But, right. Yeah. So, uh, bottom line is, these machines are not accurate. They're not secure. These voting machines, and they are not verifiable to the voter. And they have been found to be illegal by the uh, United States District Court. So, so our, our conclusion with you know with our new shirt is that 
we have to unplug Georgia elections. Uh, and that, so that's our, our new shirt. And then on the back of it, uh, we have everything. In fact, I don't have an extra shirt here, so I'm going to turn around and show you the back. I'm not sure if you'll be able to see it or not. I can see it looks like you got a ballot on the back. Unplug, unseal, unleash. Yeah. So, so what we want to do is unplug, unplug Georgia elections, uh, you know, and cast their votes on secure uh, security paper, secure paper ballots, and then we want to, um, we want to uh, unseal the ballot so there can be public record, and then we want to, yeah. um, and finally, we want to unleash transparency uh, through and and trust, real transparency and trust, not the kind of transparency where. They aren't transparent at all. And this has been successful in other use cases before. A lot of people will say, well, you can't ever do paper ballots. It would never work. But you have provided examples of it working. I know those are at Voter GA as well. And we've talked about those. One other thing I'd love to hear you talk about that I don't think we've had a chance to talk about yet. I saw a video of you trying to go to a fish fry <laughs> maybe a month and a half ago. And yes. They didn't want you there. That's right. Um, they, uh, well, we had paid to be there. We were a sponsor of the event. In fact, we just sponsored uh, an event in that same district. You were district sponsor of the of the event this weekend. Yeah, yeah, we were a sponsor. Walked in. They said, uh, uh, "You know, I'm sorry, we we uh, we don't want you here." This was a GOP event. And, yeah, and yeah. we'll give you our money. Money back. I said, well, we haven't gotten any money back. So they literally wrote us a check uh, on the spot. And said we don't, you know, we don't. Want, and so, what's the issue here? And uh, well, and then as you know, they didn't want anybody that had election integrity shirts um, <laughs> on top of that. And, we, and we're trying to figure out, well, what's the problem? I mean, election integrity is a hot issue for almost all Republicans right now, and we're here to promote it. Uh, the issue and support the event. And um, bottom line is what we found out later was that, you know, Brian Kemp in committing to speak at that event told the uh, Chan Jones, who is, was the uh, head of the, the um, uh, 8th district, he's 8th district chair, that he didn't want anybody to be there with election integrity. He didn't want any pictures with anybody that had election integrity things in the background. So um, it, it, that is unbelievable to imagine that the governor, uh, Kemp, did not want that. But that was actually the real reason. So as soon as he had left and, and finished speaking, they didn't really care what we wore anymore. So that's crazy. It was pretty obvious that that's what, uh, uh, what, what the case was. He's terrified of you guys and, and the effort, the grassroots effort y'all put together. And I saw a video of him there. He looked like he might have had a few too many during the Georgia Bulldog game that day. That's just my opinion. Well, uh, I, I think he was probably there before the game. Uh, so, uh, well, it's I, like he'd been doing keg stands all day to me. I don't know. I didn't give him a breathalyzer, but the guy was talking like this. looked like he's about to fall over. Well, he always talks like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here's what's interesting. Uh, rather than eating at the fish fry, 
he comes and speaks, and then they stop at a Chick-fil-A uh, on the way out uh, rather than, than mingling with the people who are supposedly his supporters. Uh, that's how bad the situation is. They don't even want to be there because they've alienated the, the core of the Republican Party uh, against them. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an incredibly sad situation. Yeah. He's pretty but, compromised. I can't think of any other. Right now, there's more people in the Republican Party that like me and than, than Brian Kemp, and I, I'm not even a Republican. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Stella recommends that next time you need to have an election corruption shirt as a backup. So you can guys put those on. He'll go, welcome, welcome them in. <laughs> so, all right, Garland, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to let people know? VoterGA.org. Do you have any events coming up? Uh, yeah, we do. Actually, we'll be speaking at Madison Forum on Monday night. That's in the fish market in Marietta. Uh, that is um, October uh, 30, 30th, Monday, October 30th. That's around six o'clock. We're going to be um, at a... Um, Saturday, there's a big event up in LJ at White Oak Farms. A lot of people are coming there. Uh, I'll be there to speak. I think we'll have um, uh, David Cross and Brian Pritchard uh, are going to be there, the chairs of the sec second and first vice chair of the GOP. Um, we're going to have um, uh, Kim Brooks will be there with some very interesting information. A lot of people don't know about her. She's done a lot of voter roll um, in, um research so that's going to be saturday and then let's see i'm trying to remember where else i am uh i've got a couple events lined up another one on thursday and it's escaping me at the moment where that is and then again on my, possibly on monday as well so um be we'll be around and uh most of those are you know posted on our social media platforms fantastic and you're at voter ga on twitter on true social on rumble and i believe on youtube Correct. Yeah, and, and Facebook. Um, Facebook. And uh, uh, yes, and, and we are, again, uh, you know, nonpartisan, nonprofit. It, it's all tax deductible for donations. And and we're volunteers. So uh, both Tamara, uh, who helps me full time now, and myself, we, we are doing this as volunteers, just trying to save Georgia. Fantastic, Arlen. Thank you for all the work that y'all do. Y'all are doing a great job and keep it up. We we support you and we believe in you. You inspire us. And thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks, Maclean.